our God is so faithful. And he's told us that when we call upon his name, that he will hear us and he will listen to us. And, you know, it's always uh, a bit of a challenge when brothers are asked to divide the word and we look to the Lord and try to find where the inspiration would be. And I'm, I'm always uh, amazed at the different things, the different aspects that the Lord might bring to one's heart. And one thing that was really on my heart this evening as I was anticipating um, who would be here you know, I have a bird's eye view. The brother has a bird's eye view of who's here. And I was just imagining the faces. The Lord was bringing to mind the faces of the different ones that might be here this evening. And he, he really has uh, given me a, a compassion on all those that stand before his word and look to be inspired by it. And I pray that that would be the case. And I know that, you know, the heart doesn't need drama. The heart doesn't need to be thrilled. The heart needs truth. And the heart needs righteousness. And these are the things that are really going to make a difference in our walk before the Lord. And he has uh, compelled me to look back at the uh, really an awesome portion of Scripture we have in the 33rd and 34th of Exodus. And I'm not sure if you've had time to really look at this on your own, but I am convinced that tonight the Holy Spirit is going to bring this portion of Scripture to life for you and for me. And this phrase that we read in the middle of it, show me thy glory, you know, was a compelling request by a brave servant that in some ways was pushing the Lord as he was seeking a blessing from God. And because Moses was uh, uh, bold enough to keep pushing the Lord in their conversation and ask, Father, show me thy glory, there's so many things that changed after Moses asked. And I think there's a lesson in that alone for us. Now, the reading that we're going to have this evening is going to be actually rather uh, long from the 33rd and 34th of Exodus. And, and I was wondering about that a little bit. With the time that we have, you know, should one spend a lengthy time in the Word? But I was very convinced that this ancient Word is the thing that's going to make a difference to you and me. It's God's Word here that counts, not the words of the servant that counts. So spending more time in the reading, I took from the Lord as being something that would really uh, edify our hearts. So if you would turn with me to Exodus 33, and we're going to begin reading with verse 7, and we are going to be reading through 34, verse 10. So let's take a careful reading of this scripture. Exodus 34, beginning with 7. And Moses took the tabernacle... And pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass. When Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. As a man speaketh unto a friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua 
the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I might know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will. Make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy." And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock. And will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. No man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, (coughs) visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance." And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people to do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. I've ended with verse 10. Moses was a man that made up his mind that he was going to seek after God. And he wanted to know God. And when he spoke with God, and God was giving him bits and pieces of what God was going to do. I see in these verses a Moses that wanted to take things further. Twice he took things further than what the words of the Almighty had said. And everything changed because Moses was a man that pursued God. It's a really good lesson to us of what the seeking of one godly man or one godly woman can do when their heart is in the right spot and they are determined to know something of the God that created them. The seeking of one godly man changed a nation. The seeking of one godly man invited God's revelation to himself and to those undeserving around him. The seeking of a godly man caused the name of the Lord to be proclaimed, which had never been proclaimed before. The seeking of one man brought God nearer. Now mind you, it wasn't that Moses really did these things. It was always the heart of God in his revelation to take one step closer and closer and closer to those of us who are the creatures of his creation. And God had a time and a place when he was willing to reveal yet more and more to man of who he was. And this is a a historic and paramount moment when God chose to take steps closer to you and to me. Because Moses pursued God. 
Now, of course, you'll remember that we started this story here right after this. You know, on the heels of disaster, of the wicked paths of sin that this people had taken before God. And the last thing that God said before we started with verse 7 was, you go up into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. In the face of disaster, Moses pitched the tent that was the tabernacle of the congregation, the tent in which all those who sought the Lord were to go. And Moses, the Bible tells us, pitched the tent outside the camp, and Moses sought the Lord on the heels of disaster. Now, what we just read with each other was that this tent was there for anybody to go into and seek the Lord. But all that we read is that Moses went there and Joshua went there. So when we read about the sort of nosy people that were waiting to see what Moses was going to do and Moses came out of his tent and they were watching him, they were watching because they knew that they had it coming to him and they suspected that if it was going to come to him, it was going to come through Moses. What's he doing now? Okay, they saw him walking throughout the camp, heading toward the tabernacle. We read that they were watching at their tent doors, and when Moses went in, they each went into their tents and worshipped. Now, you know what? I'm not sure, to be honest with you, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. We might say, well, they worshipped. That's a good thing. Well, Moses created the tabernacle of the congregation for those to seek the Lord. That's not where they went. As I take a reading of this, I, I take it that they were actually afraid to go into the tabernacle and seek the Lord. They chose to seek it in their own home, in their own place. But, you know, Moses has laid out for us somewhat of an example here for you and me. This is the first place where a tabernacle was made so that men could go to seek him. And women could go to seek him and to find him. And you know, it makes me wonder, for myself and for you, that when we have opportunity one day in seven, on Sabbath, to go into the tabernacle that we have been given, do we go there to seek the Lord? Do we go there really to seek his face? Or what is really the motive that drives us to go? You know, undoubtedly, there are mixed motives when you come before the Lord. That's not to say that all of them are good or all of them are bad. But the point is here, that place was made for men and women to go and seek the Lord. And I think it really is an awesome challenge to us when we come before the Lord to really ask ourselves, what are we doing there? What are we doing? If you go there to just be one who wants to receive, if you go there from one who in some sort of mystical way wants to gain some sort of blessing from what transpires in that place, the simple model that we've been given is that those that find the Lord are those that seek the Lord. And when we read in the New Testament that we should knock and the door is going to be open unto us, Obviously, that doesn't just pertain to those who are seeking the Lord for their soul's salvation. Brother and sister, that's you and me. So we have this great example of Moses, this great man of God, who chose even in the heels of disaster to go and pursue the Lord. And the things that he was going to petition God for were things that had never been asked of God before. I mean, if that isn't courage, if that isn't vision, if that isn't moxie, chutzpah, but of course Moses didn't do this in any kind of arrogant way. Moses was a man that his 
heart was also with the people. And he was seeking a God who he really felt loved this people, even in the face of their iniquity, and was a God that could be persuaded to reach out and touch them in their need. You and I need to seek God in his temple. We need to seek him for pardon. And we need to seek him for healing. We're used to coming before the Lord and asking for pardon from our wicked ways. We're probably less akin to come to the Lord and beg him for healing. More on that to come. But you and I, I think, are in desperate need of healing. And this generation before the Lord is in desperate need of healing. And one, one of the things that the Spirit really brought to my mind in these past several days is that the Spirit of God wants to win this generation for the King. And when I say this generation, I'm not talking about the teens. If you are alive, if you are in the land of the living, you are in this generation. And the Father wants this generation for him. And he wants men that will seek him. And he's promised that we will be found of him. And he is a God that offers us healing. You know, when the commandment was given to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we should love the Lord with all our soul and all our heart and all our mind. You, you and I can't love the Lord. We can't really love the Lord with all our heart and our soul and our mind if we are not seekers of him. Seekers of him. And if there's one thing the Bible teaches us in this whole story of the exodus, of people leaving Egypt on their way to the promised land, is that this was a journey, a spiritual journey. And you and I are on a spiritual journey. And in our journey, the whole purpose and meaning is about us seeking the living God. You know, as we read here the interaction that Moses had with God, he came before God and first said, you, you know, you've asked me to, to lead this people, but you also just said that they should go uh, by themselves to the promised land. Now, if you've asked me to lead them there, I'm not really sure who do you want to take with me? Who is it exactly that you want me to lead? And you've told me things that you know me by my name. And you've told me things like I've found favor in your sight. But Moses articulated to God, I don't know what I've done that has found favor in your sight. I want to know you. That I should then know what I should do. What are the things, God, that bring your favor? Now, you know, this is interesting. I wonder how you and I would have responded uh, to this. Because God was, in essence, saying, Moses, you're known of me. I know who you are. For many of us, we might say, good enough for me. He knows who I am. Not Moses the seeker. It wasn't good enough for Moses that he was known of God. He said, you, we, we, we read it with each other. You know, Show me now thy way that I might know thee to find grace in thy sight. And then God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. All right, who of us would have stopped at that point? 
The Almighty has just offered you his presence and offered you his rest. Time for you to be quiet and say, okay, leave the tabernacle. Be happy with God's presence and a promise of God's rest. Not Moses. Not Moses. As he's asking things of the Lord, do you notice? You know, he asks one thing and the Lord says, okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it to you. Then Moses asks for more. And when he asks, God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. And then Moses, in this unbelievably bold request, asks God to see him. And he knew that for him to see God was just going to be an awesome thing. I mean, we've sort of gotten into this word glory, but you and I both know that there's no word, there's no one word that can possibly describe, you know, what it was that Moses was expecting to see, what he was expecting to experience before God. And you know what? This awesome God not only grants his request, but he says, because you have found favor in my sight, I will show myself to you. And he says, I will cause my name to be proclaimed before you. <clears throat> well, then we read about the preparations. We read about how he goes up there. And, you know, one point, God says, when I show you to me, you go and you stand on that rock. For the seeking soul... God prepares a rock for us to stand on. And he also prepares a rock sometimes that, as we read here, it says, has a cliff in it with an eye. Sometimes, I guess there are two words in English, it's also called a cleft with an E. You know, to be honest, I don't think you and I can tell so easy when we're standing on the rock and when we're being hid in the cleft. I don't think you and I can tell. There are times that God sort of has us out in the open as we seek him, as he interacts with us, and there are times where unbeknownst to us, God might be hiding us in the cleft of the rock while things are going on around us that we can't even see in the heavenlies. And you know, I love to hear stories of faithfulness, of faithful believers. But whenever we hear stories of faithfulness, we always have to remember that the faithfulness is not on the part of the believer, right? The faithfulness is on the part of God. That's where the faithfulness comes from. And how many experiences do we make that we have a triumph, sweet victory through uh, a situation in life? And how do you know, dear brother and dear sister, that he just didn't hide you in the cleft of the rock? He hid you while he declares victory around us. So, you know, this is not a time before the Lord as we're seeking him to, you know, to put the, the praise and the glory in the wrong spot. This is no time for us to inadvertently get uppity. Because even as seekers, all that we go through is in his total care and keeping. The only thing that we can really bring to him of value is that desire to seek him and the occasional bold request that is provoking God in a good way, provoking to good kinds of works. So Moses is standing there 
and God causes himself to come before him. And we read it together that his name was proclaimed. So in the authorized version, we find here in verse 6 that God proclaimed his own name, the Lord, the Lord God. Sometimes the substitute is made here for Jehovah. Lord is written, Jehovah is the word that was used. That's the word that was used here, Jehovah. Jehovah. I'm trying to imagine in my mind's eye what that must have been like and sounded like for Moses. With a sort of thunder, perhaps, that you know, cut through the brightness that he was seeing of the Lord's name being proclaimed for the first time on the face of the earth. Now, I had to do a bit of checking out here. Check me out. Always check out the minister, right? We don't make mistakes on purpose, but sometimes we goof. So, check it out. Exodus 3. Moses in the burning bush speaks to God, God to him. He asks God, who should I say told me this? God answers something pretty interesting. I am who I am. Tell him that I am sent you. You might think that's a name, I am. I think God in some ways was saying, though, you know, I will be whom I will be. You know, you men down there, my creation, you're not really the ones that are asking the questions here. It's me that are giving the answers. You can't be insistent on a name to call God by. God chooses the time and the place in which he reveals himself. And so he created a, a euphemism. Tell him the I am sent you. Sister, uh, Sister Vicky helped me with this. Kunchak from Israel this morning. We checked it out and she was convinced also that this is not a name. This was a euphemism. Now, in Exodus 6, you're going to read that God said several times, you know, I'm the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. I have not used my name before. He apparently did privately with Moses because there are other times that you will read in the Bible before this that the word Jehovah is used. But the unusual thing that happened here from Moses' request to God is that God decided to reveal himself through Moses to mankind in a way that his name would be proclaimed. And from this point on, he frequently spoke to his people as those who are the called by my name. Of course, the good Jew, in their reverence for the Lord God, Jehovah, wouldn't say that word. I understand the respect that they have by not saying it, but you know what? I sure am glad I can say it. And I hope you're glad that you can say it too when we call on the name of Jehovah and seek him for pardon and seek him for healing. You know, when we call on the name Jehovah, how can you wrap God up in one word? Even here, we we read that after the Lord used his name, you know, he says all kinds of other things the God who will be merciful, long-suffering, abundant, keeping in mercy for thousands. He says the God on whom he will have mercy and the God who is gracious on whom he will be gracious. You know, there's this sense of God saying he has the right and he has the authority even when we use his name to decide how this thing is going to turn out. And we might know something of him, but really knowing his thoughts is something that we really have to be careful about. 
because the Bible tells us that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways higher than our ways. But we, we use the name Jehovah, and when we speak about our God Jehovah, we mean a lot of things when we say that. The God who sets my feet upon a rock. The God who hides me in the cleft of the rock. My God, your God, our God, our shield. God, our strength. God, our portion. God, our deliverer. God, our shelter. God, our strong tower. God, the anchor of our souls. God, the Most High. God, our very present help in time of need. When we call on Jehovah, we're calling on that kind of God and, of course, many, many more things that are wrapped up in who the Almighty is. And, of course, this really gives us a a perspective. And this gives us a sense of comfort when we consider who he is by just the mention of his name. And what he will do, he told them. Now, mind you, this is a God who had just said, you go to Canaan, but not with me. You're on your own. And now, through the seeking of this man, God has changed his mind. He said, I will go with you, Moses, and I will go with those that are with you. And furthermore, I will show you things and do things that have never, never been done before on the face of the earth. And he said, they will see works of the Lord We ended the reading, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Of course, that's just just a transliterization way of trying to say that there's going to be awesome and powerful and mighty and unbelievable things that will be done with thee. Sometimes when we choose to seek God, we really sell him short. Because you know what? For many of us, our pleadings for God might only be for pardon. And when we make an experience with the Lord that we have received his pardon, we say, stop, stop, stop. That's good enough. God wants to do much more in your life and my life than pardon you. That in no means underestimates the value of the pardon. Because you and I both have wicked ways that we have lived before the Lord. And some of the most wicked things that we've done is not respecting God for who he is not granting him the authority that he wants to have over our life. And brothers and sisters, if we seek the Lord only for pardon, that's offensive to God. Because he's much more than a God of pardon. The promises that he made to his children are even more valid than he's made to the children of grace when he says, I want to do things that have never been done before in the face of the earth. And I will do great and mighty and awesome things. And the Bible tells us, you can look in Jeremiah 33.3, one of my favorite verses. God says, you call upon my name and I will show you things that you can't even imagine. Does life sometimes get monotonous for you? Bored? You know, that probably is uh, 
is some of the biggest reasons why, um, why folks are on Facebook. It's because they're bored. I see that, you, that word used a lot, not infrequently. Well, you know what? Life is going to get monotonous if we don't understand the calling. Uh, life is going to get really bored if we don't understand the calling. And, you know, I, it, it, I really believe that it's offensive to God when his children don't take the example of a Moses by keep on seeking and in some ways appealing to God and, and imploring God to change things in our lives and in this place that God will do because we ask. And the Bible is pretty simple and plain that way. You can't mistake it when James says, you receive not because you ask not. Now, I mentioned it before, but I would like to stick with this last point strongly about seeking God for healing. For healing. You know, I've hit this point rather hard that we come to him for pardon. But how many of us really come to him for healing? You know what? I'm desperately persuaded. I'm desperately persuaded that we need healing before our maker. We need healing. There are things that you and I experience in our life just for being men and women in a fallen place that hurt us in deep ways. Their family experiences, their life experiences that, that really um, hurt us in deep ways. And God has promised that he would also be a God for the seeking, a healer for the seeking. You know, if I would fast forward a little bit to see as God has moved closer to his children and provided different places for us to seek and worship him, you can read in Second Chronicles at the temple that, of course, was the you know, great-grandchild, perhaps, of the tabernacle of the congregation. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he used these beautiful words where he says, if my children, and what are the things that would distinguish the children? Those who are called by my name. Will seek my face will humble themselves, will pray, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God has promised pardon and he has promised healing. To be very honest with you, there are very few who seek the Lord for healing. Most of us, when we're injured in life, try to go to God to find ways that we can cope with the injuredness. God is not a God of coping. God is a a God of healing. And one of the beautiful truths of righteousness of the gospel that pursuing a relationship with God can really heal things. And you and I have spiritual and emotional and psychological things that are just normal for fallen man that God also promised that he would heal when he said that he would heal the land. Did you think he meant that he was just going to heal it from wars, that he would heal it from political situations, 
that he was going to heal it from other irrelevant things. No, the kingdom is in our hearts, and this is the place where God offers the healing. One other thing that is common for you and me is that we just don't recognize the places in our life that we need healing. We just dial it out and make believe that it's not there. But now and again, there are things that happen in life where the unhealed places can't be covered up anymore. And very frequently in trying to help folks with issues that they're dealing with, it's a challenge to get to the root. What is at the bottom of this problem? And very frequently, it's almost a law that at the root is some level of healing that needs to take place. I could tell you some real-life examples of kinds of healing that are within my experience. You know, when I have to mention this just so that this is clear. You know, we, we all need healing. We that are elder brothers, we know that we need healing. Ministers need healing. Everyone needs healing. And sometimes we can block out the need for healing for long times in our life. And of course, then sometimes things happen in life that create new wounds that need to be healed. And it's not the same thing as letting a wound scab over. That happens too. Healing is not a scab. Healing is something different. Well, I was just told um, very recently a testimony that makes the point. A young wife of two lost her husband after five years of marriage. And comes to find out a month later that she is carrying her third child. Goes through life and has a productive life. Raised the children well. They did things for the Lord. They did surprising things for the Lord. But she herself never came to terms with having lost her husband at a young age. The Lord granted her years, a lot of years. And by the testimony of her son, Really, the golden years of her life were between ages 80 and 90. In those years, she came to terms with the healing that had evaded her her whole life. And those last 10 years were really blessed. You know, that in some ways is another example of God just going all the way as far as he can. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine that in their 80th year, God works with the soul and grants them healing that has evaded them for all those years? I mean, is that an awesome God or what?
such as the testimony of our brother Vic Schlauter's mother. When we come before God and ask him to do honest things out of real brokenness and desperation, God will hear. And perhaps some of the things that are really glory, God showing us glory, is the way he can provide for the healing. Because you know what? When real healing happens in our lives, it's, it's like we're new. Seeking healing takes courage. And seeking healing takes honesty. And it really takes a a transparency before the Lord. But it brings glory because, you know, the real weight of the gospel is that God has come to seek and save. And God can really heal us in all our broken places. Such is a God that uttered his name, that now we have been grafted into those who are called by his name. But the promise still stands that if my people who are called by my name will seek my face, humble themselves before me, Pray to me, forsake their ways, that this God is a God of pardon and a God of healing. I hope that we're all going to be willing from being exposed to this word this evening, that we're going to be challenged to be more serious seekers of him. And that we're going to be brave seekers of him. And seekers that will sometimes expect and ask for the unbelievable. Just because God has promised that he would do that kind of thing. Pray that this word has touched you this evening and that this camp has touched you. And that you've seen something of God's glory while we're here. I've asked uh, in closing these precious words of Jehovah, Jehovah, to be played for us in a way that we recognize, in a way that we could worship, and hopefully in a way like Moses, that we won't be too proud to bow ourselves. Of course, the Bible tells us that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that not only God is Lord, but our Lord Jesus is Lord. May the Lord bless this word to you.